you're no longer sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Your interests really go and have a greater impact, not just on technology, but really everyday life. This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. Open up your notebooks, let's dive in. All right, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the MarketScale EdTech Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the show. We have a lot of great content coming up for you. We have two excellent features. Today's episode is titled Big Results from Unorthodox Methods. And so today we're going to take a look at two different methods that might not be conventional in terms of how they help students learn, but they're effective nonetheless. And so our first feature of the day is from Monica Burns, and it's an interview conducted by our correspondent, Sean Heath. And they discuss the power in a well-presented story and some of the common challenges that we face when stepping into that role of storyteller and how technology is really taking story time to the next level at all education levels. And so it's going to be a really interesting conversation with Monica Burns. She's a real influencer in this ed tech industry and in this space. And so really, really great to get her on the podcast and to get her insight. Our second feature of the day is a conversation with George Hagen Hammond. He's the creator and CEO of Study Tracks. And he joins to talk just about how with students learning in different ways, a lot of times when you're younger in those elementary school years, there are a lot of visual elements and musical elements, and you learn things by memorizing songs and different uh, fun, creative ways to, to uh, really commit things to memory. But once you get into your older high school years, it becomes a lot of book learning, and it becomes a lot of just regular studying and that sort of thing. And a lot of the creative learners, the people that learn better from visual learning and from songs and other creative elements, uh, are kind of left by the wayside at that point. So he joins to talk about study tracks the company that he has created, and it's a service that posts a variety of fun and catchy songs that teach material of everything from math to history. And not only are they really professionally produced, but they also reflect the musical trends of the era in a convincing and authentic way, making that listening experience uh, much more engaging. It's not uh, kitschy, and it's not uh, necessarily corny or anything along those lines. It's actually really well produced. And so it's a really interesting way to approach learning, especially for kids in older age groups uh, that maybe don't get that creative outlet quite as much as they did when they were younger children. So I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation with George Hagen Hammond, and I can't wait for you to get to hear it coming up on the Market Scale EdTech Podcast. But first, we're going to talk to Dr. Monica Burns, an EdTech and curriculum consultant for Class Tech Tips. And again, she's a real influencer in this area. We're really, really honored to have her on the podcast today. So coming up next is that conversation with Sean Heath on the Market Scale EdTech Podcast. Welcome to Market Scale Education Technology. I'm your host, Sean Heath. You know, I've spent my entire life talking. It's kind of what I do. I'm very comfortable doing it, whether it's uh, individual conversation or talking to a group of five, fifty, five thousand. It really, for some reason, it just never really made me nervous. But you know, there are a lot of people in the world that don't have that comfort when trying to do something as simple as tell a story. Um, You know, there are, interestingly enough, there are people who are actual teachers who are a little uncomfortable talking in front of crowds. It's just, it is what it is. But 
if you break it down even more granularly to the personal level, there are some parents who aren't super comfortable reading a simple story to their child. Well, today I have the pleasure of talking to someone who knows all about the challenges that parents and instructors face, and she actually knows a really cool way to address that. Today, I have the pleasure of having a conversation with Dr. Monica Burns, an ed tech and curricular consultant for Class Tech Tips. Dr. Burns, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Now, is that, I I guess you don't think about it because we spend so much time in our own heads. We don't really think about the challenges that a lot of other people have doing something that some of us would consider really simple. But this isn't a rare challenge, right? There are parents and there are teachers that need just a little something to help them when they're trying to communicate. That's, That's not an uncommon problem, is it? I don't think it's uncommon, especially with parents who might not feel super confident as someone who's going to read a story to their child. Um, Maybe that's because of things in their past, their own growth when it comes to literacy. I would say most teachers have a a pretty strong comfort level when it comes to doing, say, a read-aloud book or sharing a piece of children's literature or nonfiction to their group. Of course, it's always great to have some extra resources in your back pocket as a teacher, but definitely for families who may not have a robust library of books in their home or who may not naturally grab a title and sit down to read aloud at the end of the day, there's definitely some great online resources uh, for them to access. And there are always a lot of tips and tricks that um, educators can use to help um, liven up their quote-unquote performance when they're when they're doing something that's read aloud to a group of students. There are a lot of factors that go into that, the age of the students, the type of story that you're reading, the size of the book. There's all kinds of uh, metrics that go into any particular story on any particular day. But you really don't want to gamble, I guess, uh, when you're in that situation. If it's important to present that information in that story and, and it's, an, it's a, an integral part of what you're trying to accomplish, anything that you can use to help improve or elevate the performance aspect and the communication aspect of it would be helpful. And I was reading on the website of uh, classtechtips.com, I was reading about this new offering called Storyline Online. That sounds like the exact answer to the challenge that you and I have just been talking about. Absolutely. It's the resource that I've loved sharing with teachers, um, whether I'm visiting schools. So I do a lot of side-by-side coaching where I spend time in schools or I, I do a demo lesson or I lead a PLC meeting in addition to some of my conference presentations where I might come in as a featured speaker and share some resources that integrate technology into instruction. One that's always on my list and that I realized about last month, you know, I've never featured this on my blog for some reason, even though I talk about it all the time, is a free resource from Storyline Online. And so they have a website, they have a mobile app, they have a YouTube channel where you can can access uh, members of the Screen Actors Guild, so actors and actresses that might be familiar faces, reading aloud really high quality, wonderful selections of children's literature. So they've got their picture book, uh, they're sitting down, and they're leading that read aloud. So mentioning that there are actors from the Screen Actors Guild that participate in the Storyline Online, how how big of an impact can 
that star power really have? I would imagine could be pretty intense. Well, I think the piece that jumps out the most for me is really about the way that someone who is a trained actor, whether it's on theater or stage, can communicate a story, can use voices, can um, place emphasis in different parts. And for me, that's the most powerful piece. There's definitely actors and actresses that students will recognize. There's some that they probably won't because they're from a different generation and a teacher might smile when they see them holding up a book to read aloud. But it comes down for me most you know the strength in this type of resource is to be able to have someone who can tell a story who can share that who can take on a role really bring a book to life and so when it comes back to teachers doing read alouds in the classroom most teachers feel really comfortable with that sort of read aloud. There's absolutely folks who are growing in that area or teachers who are new to doing something like that that might appreciate some models or some support like you would find in the videos. But for families that might not you know, naturally share a book um, like this with their children, it's a great way for them to leverage the power of something like YouTube, which everyone's pretty familiar with and kids gravitate towards. And sometimes you know, families aren't quite sure what the best quality videos are or what to recommend for their children to watch that's going to have an educational benefit. So this is a great one for parents to have in their back pocket too. And of course, for teachers to recommend to families, whether it's on a family literacy night or in a casual conversation. Now, one of the things that I've always felt very strongly about when it comes to education technology is what's the point? And I've always believed that the primary purpose of education technology is to help the students learn. It's an additional way to present the information. But this also seems like something that could help the the reader, whether it's a teacher or a parent. They can pick up some tips just through osmosis by observing the way that this particular person performs a story or the way this information is presented, that they can then take a tip or two out and put that in their own personal toolbox, which means both sides of the equation actually have a chance to learn from this particular piece of education technology. Absolutely. And what you mentioned about this idea of the purpose behind something, I have a book that came out last year with ASCD, and I'm speaking about it at FETC as a featured speaker uh, later this month called Tasks Before Apps, right? So right there where you said, you know, what's the point? Why are we doing this? What's the focus? And so that's the kind of gut check term, that Tasks Before Apps, that I like to share with educators to come back to that why, right? Why are we doing this? And when it comes to the dual use cases that you mentioned, one of the things I um, mentioned on the blog post is something that I shared after a noticing of my own when leading some professional development for some teachers down in North Carolina over the summer. And I was talking with a group of teachers, some of whom had spent many years in the classroom and some of whom were brand new. And one thing that we were talking about was really this idea of what does it look like to pick books that we're excited about, that kind of high quality children's literature? And for some of the newer teachers, they just didn't have the experience. They didn't have their list of favorite books quite yet. The same way a teacher with five or 10 or 35 years of experience might have books they love sharing with students. So I suggested to them, you know, this resource is of course great for maybe a blended learning station to share with families, but it's also something where you might 
uh, put on a video, right? Play it on your phone while you're folding laundry and get to know some really great pieces of children's literature that might end up being ones to bring into the classroom. So absolutely, there's definitely some different layers of learning, whether it comes to parents understanding, right, how to share a book in a way that's engaging and meaningful for students, as well as for teachers who are building their own knowledge or their own list of favorite books and want some new ones to explore. When we hear the word technology, we usually think of rapid evolution. We think of growth. We think of innovation. And there can be times when technology grows way too fast for the quality that we hope will exist within that technology. Are you finding that as technology in the education industry advances, are you finding that the uses are starting to reach a level of quality? Are, are they growing along at the same speed as the technologies? It's interesting because one of the conversations that you know I've had in the past has really been around this idea of that kind of digital divide, which, you know, in past conversations was more about access, right? Who has access to technology? Who doesn't? And that's what we would talk about when we talk about that digital divide. Um, but when we start thinking about quality use cases, there's also some, some gaps here to think about as well, right? So what does it look like to understand the power of digital tools and to use them really strategically where some folks are still just excited to have something, right? So we have the Chromebooks. It doesn't matter what we do with it, right? There's some growth that can happen there in terms of understanding quality use cases. So that's a lot of, of my work with professional development with schools is really having those conversations aligning things to curriculum maps, talking about the great work that's happening in a traditional manner and how we can really uh, do some quality things with digital tools to help uh, really energize and, and elevate those experiences to prepare students for all sorts of ways to interact with with content. So I definitely think there's some room to grow when it comes to quality use cases, but I'm also really excited about the conversations, you know, I've been having with educators when I do on-site PD or speaking to a group, because I think more and more everyone's wheels are spinning about the different ways they can use digital tools strategically. In my mind, the whole conversation that you and I have just had has been in, in my imagination, I have seen it as these instances of flashes in my, my mind of teachers or parents talking to elementary age kids. As someone who spends almost every waking moment thinking about education technology, can you give me some examples on where I might be unfairly limiting my scale? I'm only thinking about, you know, elementary, middle age school kids. That's probably not fair for me to do that. I'm probably missing a huge opportunity by thinking that way, right? Well, I think it's a really common uh, type of way to focus in on read-alouds, right? We think of students from kindergarten to fifth grade and elementary school together on the rug or leaning over their desk and listening into a book being read aloud. That's exactly what I was thinking. Right. And Storyline Online has a lot of picture books, which we also kind of put into that category. But there are some really powerful conversations that students of all ages can have with a read aloud. I know um, teachers who are at the secondary level, whether it's perhaps in a social studies classroom, making historical fiction connections, or whether it's in an ELA classroom, talking about best practices for personal narratives or memoirs. Uh, there's so much that can be gained from a read aloud beyond even just a compelling story. So at secondary levels, 
read aloud books like the ones on Storyline Online, right, might be used when we're searching for an excerpt, when we're looking for an exemplar. And I think there's a lot of power in that story and the conversations that come around it. You know, we, um, when we watch a, a Disney movie, for example, right, the, the little kids laugh at certain things and the older kids laugh at other things and the adults might laugh at somewhere <laughs> in between or, or all around at the jokes, right? It's created for an audience um, that is not just in one place, but in different spots. So the same way that you could go back and reread a book and get something different from it at different parts of your life. So I really encourage educators at the secondary level to think about ways that read aloud books Maybe it's even something where a student is asked to watch that 10-minute read-aloud video with a couple discussion prompts that are connected to their learning goals. I just think that there's a lot that can be gained from it beyond the fact that it's always wonderful to infuse storytelling into whatever it is that we're doing. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to have a story time with me and to tell me some things. I do feel smarter now than I did when we started. So to me, that's a win-win. So thank you for that. I appreciate that energy that you put into my day. And I really look forward to having a chance to talk to you again later this year as we get into the spring and you come back from a couple of your of your presentations. I'd really love to have another chance to talk to you even more. It's a fascinating subject. Today, it has been my pleasure to have a conversation with Dr. Monica Burns, the EdTech and Curriculum Consultant at ClassTechTips.com. Monica, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful to come on and share this new blog post. It's been well-received on social media so far. It's going out in my newsletter uh, today, and I'm just really pumped about free, high-quality resources for educators. Thanks again to Dr. Monica Burns for joining the podcast today. And thank you to our correspondent, Sean Heath, for conducting that interview. I really enjoyed getting her perspective there on storytelling and how it can make a difference in learning and how technology is really taking that story time to the next level at all education levels. All right, coming up next is our conversation with George Hagen Hammond, and he's going to talk about his company that he created, Study Tracks. He's also the CEO, and in that, they are using music to really help kids learn everything from math to history. Uh, now, I love music. I uh, played a variety of uh, musical instruments growing up, and so I really always loved kind of creating little songs to help me memorize things, and uh, I'm still creating little songs. Uh, I sing them to uh, my dogs all the time for no apparent reason. I just do. And so... It's really interesting just to see how music can be incorporated into education in ways that really help kids commit things to memory. And so I think this is going to be a really fascinating conversation coming up with our correspondent, Sam Kingma, talking to George Hagen Hammond, the creator and CEO of Study Tracks. Hello, and welcome to the Education Technology Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Sam Kingma. For many elementary school students, reading definitions from the textbook is just one of the many ways they consume the knowledge they need for high school and beyond. But once they get to high school, learning is really only done through the textbook, leaving more visually minded and creative learners in the dust. In comes Study Tracks, a service that posts a variety of fun, catchy songs that teach material from math to history. Joining us today is the creator and CEO of Study Tracks, George Hammond Hagen, to discuss the reception of Study Tracks from students and teachers, as well as the need for more diverse ways for high school students to learn their material. How you doing, George? Yeah, Sam, I'm really good. Thank you, yourself. Excellent. I'm excellent. 
So I wanted to start off this interview by asking if you can explain to the audience what exactly Study Tracks is. Ah, oh, really good question. So imagine this. The, the concept is really simple. Imagine being able to recall your um, your education text, like something about DNA, as easy as you could recall, let's say, Bruno Mars's 24 Karat Magic. You know, that in essence is what Study Tracks is. We take the school curriculum, distill it down to the salient points, and then we put it to music and make it sound incredible so that kids can listen to it and encode information really quickly and recall it really effectively. This sounds like a really fun, interesting, genuinely great idea. How did you come up with it? Well, you know, um, a few years ago, my son was taking his exit exams in the UK. And, um, you know, a 15-year-old wants to sit down with his uh, headphones on and just wants to keep, you know, playing on his phone. And that's what my son was doing when he was supposed to be studying. And, you know, I'm a songwriter and producer by trade. I spend a lot of time in the the music industry for over 20 years. So um, one day when he was just sat down with headphones on, scrolling through um, Spotify or something for literally 15 minutes, I thought, what if the music he was looking for could actually help him? What if it was actually something useful? So I took um, a physics book that was on his desk and I kind of put it to Fat Joe's lean back and played it to him. And he lost his mind. He's like, oh my God, this is incredible. But the penny really dropped for both of us a week later when he had um, a physics lesson and they just happened to be talking about the content that I put to music and he recalled everything. And he came back bouncing off the walls about this physics lesson and he hated physics. So, you know, I was looking at him like, wait a second, you're excited about physics. You know, and then it just went from there. I just started creating more tracks, um, played them to him. He played them to his friends. I've got my brother involved um, who I used to work with in the music industry. He just lost his mind. And then it grew from there. We went from zero to now well, over a quarter of a million kids are using the app now. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, and you mentioned that when you first came up with the idea, your your son was 15. What grade range is Study Tracks geared towards? So in the US, it's um, 9 through 12. So we look at the, in, in, whichever, in whichever territory we're in, we look at the um, high schoolers, the, the ones who are taking their exit exams, because what we found is that with the younger age groups, there's a, you know, there's a whole plethora of products and things out there that they can use you know there's this middle age when you go into um in the uk when kids are from 11 through 14 there's not that much that's there to support them but then when they hit exam level it's just books upon books upon books and it's the same thing in the us you've got this gap in the middle and then when they're hitting their exit um years then there's just loads of books but what i found is that you know, this generation of kids don't really want to be sat there with books. So we've created something that is aimed squarely at those um, kids who are taking those really meaningful exit exams so it can go on to the next level of their education with, with a lot of momentum and a lot of choice. Now, does study tracks focus on like just one or two subjects like math or science, for instance, or does it actually cover the whole gambit of subjects? Oh, we, we, we go wide and we go deep. So um, we've got everything from the sciences, to um, maths, to world history, to U.S. history, to English literature, English language art, 
um, history, geography, you know, and we're adding more. We're, we're constantly adding more content. We've got what, something like 1,300 tracks on the app at the moment. And in the next few weeks, we're going to be adding about 200 more. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a growing um, library of music. That's a lot of songs. How many contributors do you have? Oh, geez. <laughs> we have a few. Um, we have the, the, the way we create our content is we work with a number of teachers in whichever territory we're working in. So we work with um, a, heads, a head of a uh, geography department or a head of a math department, and they let us know what is the stuff that we need to make sure we include on these tracks. And they help us break it down to the key elements that kids really need to know, the concepts that they really need to get locked in so that they can really progress with that subject or do well in an exam. And then we turn that into what you hear on study tracks. So we put them, put it to music and, you know, create all these um, really interesting meters that get stuck in your head. And we've got, what in the US, we've got a team of about um, five artists that we work with, the same in the UK, same in France. What have been some of the biggest challenges for you and for study tracks? You know, one of the biggest challenges is, you know, really kind of locking down the content because when we first started, we, we thought, you know what, let's stick with the um, sciences and maths because whether you're in the UK or the US, the concepts are going to be really quite sim similar. Um, what we found is always nuances. There's little changes in um, the language. In the UK, we say um, gradient. In the US, you say slope. We say brackets. You say parentheses. So there's little nuances in language. But then what we find when we're trying to make sure that our product is standards align, there's a lot of content that you need to make sure you cover. You can't miss anything out. So for us, there's this real responsibility that we hold when we go into the studio to create more content because kids are relying on it you know you you if you do something wrong then you've completely lost their confidence so we really we, you know for us we're in the business of helping these kids and helping teachers um gain more confidence in and out of the classroom so you know we that's our biggest challenge is making sure that every bit of content that goes on the platform is correct and standard aligned. And how do most high school students find out about study tracks? You know, there's different journeys. So um, when, when we grew from zero to um, 35,000 users initially in the first sort of like three or four weeks of our existence, that was all through um, social media. You know, we, we were hitting face, Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, all the usual suspects. And we just got a really strong uptake. And then you get this whole word of mouth thing that goes on where, you know, a kid uses it. They've gone from a C grade to an A grade in a particular subject. They're going to talk about it. So then their friends start using it. And then we start continuing with the messaging on all the, all the digital channels. And then it just starts, it just grows from there. So most, most kids find us through either word of mouth or through digital channels or, you know, we'll, we'll do events or we'll go to a school and we'll, we'll do a, um, a study track showcase where we introduce them to this new way of um, learning. And it's amazing when you see the pennies drop, when, when you put on the first track, and they just look at you like, what is this manna from heaven? Where the hell is it? You know, they, you just see it in their eyes. It's like, 
this is incredible. And then, you know, so there's so many ways. And I think what we really try and do is just make sure that um, our messaging is available where these kids are consuming their media. So kids, really positive views on study tracks. What about school faculty? Do you find that most teachers and stuff like study tracks? That's, you know what, that's really interesting because when we first created study tracks, it was one of these things where I was like, you know what, I just want kids to be into it. If teachers don't like it, so be it. And, you know, people told me that teachers will hate it because it's, you know, you're going, you're being too disruptive. But every single time we took study tracks into schools to do, um, you know, focus groups or anything, the teachers lost their minds. And, you know, they were saying, look, how, how do we get study tracks into the classroom? And my thing is, well, how would you use it? And they would give us loads of different use case scenarios. And then from that, you know, they, they, they talked about flipping the classroom where, you know, traditionally a flipped classroom, the kids are still doing the same type of homework. They're still looking, reading in books and trying to cram ahead of the class to, you know, try and hit the ground running. Whereas this, you can just, a teacher can say, okay, um, we're about to learn DNA next week. What I want you to do is listen to this track, to DNA on study tracks, take the quiz, and then next week when they come into the lesson, they've already got all of that key foundational um, messaging that they need in order to move forward. So teachers find that they can offload a lot of the heavy lifting on a subject to our platform, and then they can then come in and do all the stuff that gets really interesting because learning what DNA is, it's okay, it's nice. But learning what you can do with DNA once you've understand once you've understood the fundamentals, that's where the subject gets interesting for both the student and the teacher. So when you can get to that higher level stuff a lot quicker, it means that you've got a load of kids who are one engaged and two have got more prospects of hitting higher marks. So schools, all the ones that we've been working with are absolutely loving it and reporting exactly that back to us. Excellent. So since teachers have been very receptive to study tracks, have you guys been able to set up any form of licensing deals so that they can actually play your songs in the classroom? Well, what, what we do, we, we've um, created a whole new um, school's platform for uh, the schools. It's completely web-based and what it allows schools to do is buy a number of um, licenses for their um, site and then what it allows the teachers to do is loads of little things like they can create bespoke playlists for a particular class or an individual student. So maybe a student may be deficient in one area of physics, maybe around sound wave. A teacher could just create a playlist, send it to that individual kid or send it to the class as a whole. They can create bespoke quizzes or use the quizzes that we've got. We've got thousands of questions on the app. They can, um, you know, create and send homework to them. And then everything's auto-graded. Everything then gets um, um, put into reports that they can export to their uh, whatever student management system they're using. So it helps create this whole holistic view of the student's progress. So it allows teachers to do a lot more than just play tracks in class. It gives them a real um, entry point to get students to really engage from an early um, point but then also frees up a hell of a lot of time in the classroom for teachers to do a lot more than they would normally get to do if they're doing the more traditional stand and deliver uh, method of teaching. 
do you find that on this app where you connect with teachers that they're actually giving you recommendations for, hey, you should cover this subject in history or science or something like that? Oh, oh, absolutely. I love that. That is one of the ways we grow our content. So we, you know, we look at the um, curriculum and we build out the kind of core of it, the the stuff that is um, taught coast to coast. But then what you find in um, different regions and different districts, there's other nuances. So teachers will say, oh, it'd be great if you could do, I don't know, um, health. So we added a, um, a health um, uh, topic. There was another one where we found in a lot of schools, we we're seeing that there was a gap between what kids knew in math at um, middle school to what they were meant to know in math at high school. So what we ended up doing with a number of schools in California was creating a um, a, a, a introductory or a, or a more basic level of math that allowed the kids to really kind of lock in the early skills that they needed in order to be able to hit the ground running when they're in high school. And, you know, this was something like another 35 tracks and we turned that around in about 12 days. So we, one of the things we love doing is working really closely with schools to, for them to say, you know, you, you've got, um, Romeo and Juliet, it'd be great if we had Othello and, you know, we, we'll add it, you know, we, 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 we love doing that. What do you think's on the horizon for the future of learning? Uh, you know, for me, I think you, you're going to start moving towards a more um, blended approach to learning. You know, we're seeing increasingly because there's so many demands now placed on um, the teachers, but the amount of time they've got to do everything hasn't changed. You're starting to see a lot more of this flipped classroom where kids are having to do some of their heavy lifting on their own. So what I'm seeing in the future is a more um, blended approach where technology is integrated more fully into the um, general teaching that goes on in the classroom and at home. And I think, you know, when you start kind of separating the wheat from the chaff and actually seeing how good technology can have such a positive impact on the classroom and on the teacher's daily life, you're going to see a real explosion in the kind of um, um, uptake in good tech rather than just tech for tech's sake. Excellent. I got one more question for you, and it's why, in your own words, do you think students benefit from using study tracks? So um, as far as the students benefiting from study tracks, is it's a number of things. I think, firstly, um, they're able to encode information really quickly and recall it really effectively. It's something that helps level the playing field. So those students who may get overlooked because they don't learn in a traditional form, this gives them an entry point. It gives a way, it's a fantastic way for kids to engage, but more importantly, it allows them to study anywhere and everywhere. So the learning environment becomes wherever you put your headphones on. Thank you for coming out, George, and thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe for previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Sam Kingma, and you have a fantastic rest of your day.
Thank you again to our correspondent, Sam Kingma, and to George Hagen-Hammond for joining the podcast this week. Really enjoyed that look at how music can really help students learn every different topic and what Study Tracks is doing in that music and education space. Uh, really informative, and uh, I think certainly would have helped someone like me back when I was in school as well. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for for this week's episode of the EdTech Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that look at two different, uh, two unorthodox uh, methods for education and how technology is really playing a part in those methods. Uh, I really learned a lot from this week's episode, and I hope you did as well. If you enjoyed this week's content, please feel free to share this around with other people in the industry, other teachers, school administrators, anybody in this EdTech space. Uh, We would certainly appreciate it if uh, you were able to share this around with them. Uh, If you are listening on iTunes, or Spotify, feel free to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get all the latest EdTech episodes downloaded directly to your mobile device. If you're on the MarketScale EdTech website, uh, just hit bookmark. That way you can easily come back. Make sure that you stay up to date with all of the latest written content as well as podcasts. Also, you should be aware that MarketScale covers 14 industries total, including EdTech. And so if you're interested in other industries, not just education technology, maybe you want to look more at software and technology or pro AV or even sports and entertainment, Uh, We have 13 other industries besides EdTech where you can explore that content as well. And we're keeping it updated on a regular basis with podcasts and written articles as well. And so if there are other industries that you are interested in, please browse around marketscale.com. Find other industries that you are interested in and make sure to check out that content as well. That is all we have for this week's episode of the EdTech Podcast. We do appreciate you listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the podcast. But until then, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.